Welcome, everybody. Clearwater Jazz Holidays, Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions. My name is Steve Weinberger. I'm the CEO of the Clearwater Jazz Holiday Foundation, and we're really, we really appreciate you joining us today. We've got a wonderful session today with our good friend Jeremy Carter, who is going to be um, working with Sam Dillon, who's here with us today for a conversation with Sam Dillon. We couldn't be more excited to have Sam join us on these sessions. Everyone will notice that participants are muted for the courtesy of the session. But if you have questions, I will help facilitate those questions to Jeremy and Sam using the chat feature. And so make sure you, you just type your questions and I'll make sure that those guys see them and we will get to them. We are recording these sessions for the purposes of Clearwater Jazz Holiday Education and Outreach. Thanks for everyone who's been following along. Clearwaterjazz.com, the education and outreach section has all of the information you need to know to do so. We have our studio archive. So after these live sessions, the full video are archived in the studio. And we also take the audio portion and put them onto the Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions podcast. The studio is brought to you by our friends at, at Blue Water Wealth Management at Steward Partners and Duke Energy. And the podcast is brought to you by our friends at Marine Max Clearwater. In just a few months, that podcast has just hit over 3,000 total plays in several different countries all throughout the United States. And so we're really, really excited about, about uh, these resources. And if you have any feedback or you want us to cover a special topic, send that to info at clearwaterjazz.com. So we're going to get right into it. Jeremy Carter. How you doing, Jeremy Carter? Good, man. Thanks a lot, Steve. All right, so here's the deal. So Jeremy, um, let me let me pin Jeremy for a second. So Jeremy is one of the most sought-after saxophonists throughout the Tampa Bay area. He just, in fact, did one of our CJH Presents Wonderlust series down in downtown Clearwater for a sold-out crowd. It was an amazing show. Jeremy Carter, rubber band, just killing it and uh we are so happy to have jeremy back with us he's done several of these sessions if you check out the studio you're going to see a basic intermediate and advanced tenor sax series and he's helping us grow the conversation with series this being the first of those with sam Dillon. and so jeremy is a special part of clearwater jazz holiday education and outreach and he's been he's traveled the world he's played with some greats sharing the stage with some awesome acts and he's an active part of clearwater jazz holiday education and outreach including our history of jazz outreach program my journey with jazz program and the young lions jazz master sessions so it's really great to have him back and joining us today is sam Dillon. and jeremy's going to tell us a little bit about sam as he turns it over for his uh for his session today but sam is a saxophone woodwind player, composer, teacher based in New York, and we are so excited to have Sam as part of these sessions. So without further ado, guys, the stage is all yours. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much, Steve. Uh, thanks to everybody over at the Clearwater Jazz, Jazz Holiday. Um, yeah, uh, we'll go ahead and kick this thing off. Um, just, to, just to give some background, um, on our uh, on our first guest here, Sam Dillon. 
Um, I met Sam. I don't know. What, what do you think? What was that about? 2010, 2011, something like that? Yeah, yeah, something yeah. like that. It's, it's been about that long. Um, I, was, uh, I was making trips up to New York uh, starting in about 2005, uh, twice a year or so. And um, on one of these trips, uh, sometimes for pleasure, sometimes for work, um, I was doing some touring up there as well, but uh, on one of these trips around 2010 or 11, I ran into Sam, I think at uh, either Fat Cat or Cleo's. I, I can't remember what, which was the first club. Yeah. Because yeah, it's I, been a few times. We've run into each other a few times up in New York. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But but if my, my memory serves me correctly, like the, the first time I met the guy, uh, they were playing, and um, I just came up and I was like, hey, man, you know, you sound really good. And I could just tell, like, he was kind of taking it back, like, okay, thanks. Because <laughs> everybody, like, the New York scene can be kind of unforgiving, and it's just, like, not, you know, a place where people do that generally. You know, I'm just a Florida guy coming in, and, you know, I was just like, man, this guy sounds really good and stuff. And so it was just, it struck me that he was, like, that good and, like, taking it back that somebody would actually, you know what I mean? Uh, Sam is one of the most humble tenor, tenor players out there, hungry guys, uh, most disciplined. If you listen to him, you can hear the discipline. All the, you know, just so clean and so articulate, big sound. Has obviously done the homework. Hank Mobley, you know, Coleman. I mean, all the guys, you know, I mean, you could hear so many influences in this playing. So I'm really, really delighted to have him here today. So, Oh, man. Jeremy, yeah, that's so good. That's quite an intro, man. And, uh, you know, I think m maybe part of my hesitation might have been that it was like 3 a.m. at Fat Cat. So I was right, like, right. <laughs> right. what's going on here? Because yeah. normally I think my M.O. is to be super friendly. And uh, I love those those sessions late at night in, this, in the city yeah. when everyone's just hanging out and playing together. So uh, I remember that night very fondly. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I tend to think that the uh, personality in those kind of situations reflects the player. Right. And I got to say the same thing about you, man. Uh, you know, the, the spirit and the joy that you just brought with you when you said hello, I already knew that you were going to have a happening tenor sound yourself, you know? <laughs> so um, what else is there to say, you know? Yeah. Um, it, but except thank you for having me on. Yeah, And, man. Uh, you know, it's always fun to do some kind of reach out and, uh, uh, you know, uh, join another community of people, right. especially in this time when we're all sitting behind our screens. This is, this is a really, uh, important thing for all of us to be doing, you know? Right. So, so that, so that brings me to my next thing. Uh, during COVID, uh, obviously, uh, Steve and I were talking beforehand, like, uh, New York has been affected by, uh, everything that's going on more so than other places because of the close proximity to everybody, the clubs and just the nature of the New York life. So what, what have you been up, been up to and how have you kind of had to adapt uh, to what's going on? Right. Well, um, you know, I do a similar thing. I'm not sure exactly the details of your uh, education with, with, with uh, Clearwater, but I have a summer camp. Uh, that I'm the uh, jazz director at uh, called Used Hand. And I'm obviously going to be pitching that right now because <laughs> we're, we're, <laughs> we're, aiming, we're aiming to be open this summer. 
right. book and try to do that. So this summer, I was I was involved in in in, in an online education program with them, um, doing a lot of gigs, man. You know, but 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 it it, it was in the form of recording. Right. <laughs> Right. So uh, everything kind of switched from live to, you know, miking up and reading a chart and putting it out there. I did a ton of stuff for the 8-Bit Big Band. Um, I even tried to put some kind of video together with my own quartet, but it's that's still, I'm still trying to put that together. Right. Um, and then a lot of teaching, you know. I got a lot of students that are hitting me up and asking me for lessons. And to be honest, you know, they say that, you know, you, you're, you're learning from teaching. It's, it's really true because this has been a chance for me to, you know, hunker down and really get all of the stuff that I've been shedding, like put, put, start to put it together in these PDFs, which is a big thing now and organize and organize all the stuff that I've been working on my whole life. So in a way, you know, this whole experience for me, is almost like holding a, a mirror up to all of the stuff that you're shedding and practicing. I'm right. used to going out. I'm used to going out the door after I practice, but now I'm I'm not. I'm practicing, and then I'm like, wait, what did I just practice? Mm -hmm. So, to be honest, I think when when all said and done, we're gonna have a lot of badass sounding <laughs> musicians right. that are ready ready to like deal on the bandstand after this is all over. Absolutely. So, I think everyone's just shedding right now, you know, yeah. which is, which is great. And, you know, Instagram culture too, it's, it, it's a tool, you know, um, you don't want to get sucked into that. It, there is a, uh, a, a, there can be a negative aspect of it because you're just glued to your phone. But, right. you know, I, I follow the mantra of what, uh, what Herbie, Herbie says, which is that it's not the, it's not the tool. It's the people that use it. So, right. I try to use it in a positive way. And um, that's kind of where I'm at, you know, teaching, yeah. Instagram, recording. Basically, that's the deal. Yeah. I do have a gig tomorrow, by the way. I have, yeah. I, I guess I've been averaging like one or two gigs a month. <laughs> I, I, saw you, I saw you at Smalls not too long ago with like the, the mask with the little hole in it. I'm like, okay. Yeah, yeah. Frank, Frank was like, put this on. And I was just like, okay, because he's got a kid that yeah. he's worried about. And okay. um, I, I, I kind of felt like, you know, Frank, what is this going to do? There's the, the whole, there's a hole. <laughs> like, what is this doing? But like, <laughs> like wear a mask. No, but but the point is, there, there's a political statement behind it to wear a mask. The optics, you know? yes. And so, so I was like, for that reason, I'm like, that's totally cool. Let's 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 do that. You know. Right. I'm glad I'm glad you mentioned Frank. I don't know if you knew this, but Frank and I actually used to play together when we were in our teens. Yes. Frank yeah, Frank Walker. Frank told me this story, man. Oh, did he? Yeah, yeah. Frank was like, I know, I know him from way back. I was like, well, and as a matter of fact, that he also said when you guys hung in Manhattan, correct yeah. me if I'm wrong. Yeah. That, that your guest tomorrow, who we all love and revere. Um, yeah, man. You you guys ended up hanging out with him. Yeah, that so. is that is a crazy story. Um, back in I grew up in Omaha. I was as well as uh, Frank Bazzilli for everybody that doesn't know, just top notch, top tier New York Barry player. Um, but we grew up in Omaha together. We used to hang out with this guy named Gary Foster, who's a drummer and 
just a just a jazz a true jazz aficionado right and um before frank went up to new york and um so fast forward 10 years when uh, another one of these random new york happenstances i'm walking around this is after joel and i meet i meet joel over at fat cat and he heard me playing there and he's like, Hey man, I'm doing this gig down at bar next door. Lyle and Turner, you should come down, bring your horn. You know, if you're still in town, I'm like, okay, yeah. All <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. right. And so I just happened to be walking down the street to go meet up with Joel. Right. And I hadn't seen Frank in probably almost 10 years, probably. I mean, maybe longer. And, um, yeah, I just run into him on the sidewalk. I'm like, Hey, I'm, I'm about to go play with Joel real quick. You want to come and, you know, so it was like me and Frank and Joel at bar like bar next door with the rhythm section. You know, wow. places. we're like literally on top of each other. Play, but wow. Yeah. It was just an amazing New York thing, man. Well, man, that's amazing. Yeah. Any, any chance, you know, and, and um, for guys in my generation, you know, Joel is a special guy, not obviously just not obviously just because of his playing. Yeah. But he's always playing, you know. He's he um, and you know I, maybe he'll be have a chance to hear me saying this, but uh, you know he's an integral part of the Smalls scene. Yeah, which is important. You know, it's something that I've definitely thought about a lot because not everyone at his level is always hanging like that. Right, and uh, you know, nine times out of ten. If I have a gig in the West Village, I'm going to be able to go check out Joel somewhere after or before my gig, which yeah. is just a testament to the to the man's uh, love of people and music. So he's yeah. a special guy. He's a special guy for that reason. He's always hanging, and it doesn't surprise me that he heard you and he was like, "Yeah, come come play my gig." I mean, that's exactly what I'm talking about, you know? Yeah. And, and so so that's really cool. It was crazy, man. He he came into Fat Cat, and um, it, it was funny because he, he like he had his tenor, and one of his like he had one of his doubles or something like that. He had like all his gear, right? That tuxedo and stuff. He's just coming from a wedding oh, gig. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And instead of going home, he, you know, yeah. So yeah, man. He's a definitely a special individual, man. I mm -hmm, just mm -hmm. just one of the most approachable and accessible people just a really good human being man we sat and talked for a while you know yeah yeah he he was and actually i have a joel from story too because way back when i first was like trying to cut my teeth in the city he, he said hey sam do you want to be my model student for this video i forgot what this video and i was like oh my god this you know joel from's calling me i was and so we shot this video where i was like you know He's he's the pro and I'm the student, right. and I'm still ho I'm still hoping that that video comes out. But you know, this is like ten years ago. I don't think it's going to come out right. for whatever reason. That's that, that, you know the video was fun, but that was the first time that he you know he he was so warm and open to me, just the same way he was to you. So yeah. you know that's how it, that 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 is how it is here, actually, man. You know, even, right. even, you right. hear all those. You hear all these stories. It's like I don't really have that kind of experience. I just think if if you're serious and you love the art form and you're you're you know you're happy to be doing what you're doing and and, and where you are, I think uh, over over the course of uh, uh, you know a little bit of time, people start to notice notice right. that you know. Um, so it's just a matter of staying true to to your 
your goals and aspirations and working hard and things kind of start to take care of themselves, you know, and in a certain way, not that, not that we're not all, you know, busting our, <laughs> busting our butt, but yeah, you know, it's, it's, it, 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 you know, older, older guys like that. And not, not to, not to say that Joel's old, but you know, they, they, they will, they will see that in you and, and, and have a, you know, an open hand for you, right. you know? So, that's been my experience, at least. So. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of truth there. If you're a serious player and you're of a certain level and you come out and your intentions are pure, yeah, I think guys will, you know, you'll start to make some headway. Yeah. You know, talk to people and find out where to go and when, you know. Yeah. yeah absolutely. It's all about it's all about the hang, too, man. Like, like you know, that's how we met, you know. Yeah. So it's a, this, the whole thing is not, you know, you got to get out and – I think I was saying this on another interview I did recently too. Like, you know, we're, we're there's so many great players I know that don't go out. Yeah. And like par- part of this is uh, a reflection of how you feel about what you're doing. Like if, if, if you're working with the mindset to play something for people or be do or saying something to people or being out with people, you know, there's an aspect to that. At the end of the day, we're performers. We can't just be, you know, closet freaks practicing <laughs> saxophone all day. Right. You know, so right. so so that 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 aspect of our music of this music is so important to to go out and be around people and and be social. Because uh, there's that famous interview of Miles where they said, "What would you call jazz?" And he says, "Oh, he he says it's social music." And to me, you know, that's how we met. That's all the stories we've been talking about so far. Yeah. It's about, it's about the hang. It's Absolutely. About the hang, you know? Yeah. One, one of our other uh, fellow uh, musicians and, uh, you know, uh, common acquaintances, Alex LeRae. You, you hip? Woo! Yeah. I, here's, the, here, here's the funniest part. Alex used to take lessons from me. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> okay. A very long time ago. <laughs> Well, man, sign me up. Sign me yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, exactly, man. No, seriously. I mean, he moved up to New York, and or no, he went. He was going to Berkeley or uh, okay. NBC. He was up in okay. Boston. Yeah, but yeah, after he left here, man, I yeah, I just heard him recently. He was playing like some classical pieces, like trans yeah. or transposing like a sixth away, and yeah, he's he's serious. Oh, he's heavy, man. Yeah, he's one. He's one of the heaviest dudes. Yeah, man. When I see him now, I'm just like, geez, Louise. Well, you know, it's funny. He he was always he was always like that. And uh, yeah, I met him. I met him through my my very good friend uh, uh, Andrew Gould. Yeah. So uh, and Andrew was at Manhattan School of Music at that time, and I was kind of tagging along with him going to sessions there, and they were both both of them were studying with Garzon. Okay. At the time. So we ended up in a car one night, all three of us just rocking out to like some bootleg of train playing body and soul from like 1964. I don't know if you heard that, but it was like one of the, one of the other nights at live at the half note, you know, I don't know. But anyway, anyway, so yeah, yeah. I love, I love Alex and I kind of got to get, get, get a little, you know, a little closer with him and, uh, that dude, you know, he's like Lee Connett's train, everything, man. He's got influences from classical music and 
what a what a knowledgeable and uh, and uh, you know unique, but also extremely well informed musician. Man, I, I I I just can't say enough about him. Yeah, you know? yeah, absolutely. So, <laughs> I want I want I want a lesson. I want a lesson. All <laughs> right, they're not playing like Alex and. No, it's it's crazy. Man. I've had some guys work with me that have gone on to do some pretty crazy things. I'm like, man, what am I doing here? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. But uh, so um, it, I want to talk about equipment a little bit. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, that was that was one of the things that we kind of chatted about at at Fat Cat one night, and I know okay. we both we both play Mark Sixes. Well, we but, did. We both did. That that's changed. You don't have your six anymore. I got rid of my six, man. Really? Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Continue though, because I. Oh, all right. I know we also sense. both. I know we both also have an affinity for Yamaha horns. Yes. Yeah, because I remember. I think uh, the first time I'm, we met, um, you were playing a Yamaha custom. And oh, okay. Was was maybe I was. Uh, you know, there was a period of time where I tried out the 82Z. Right. And it might have been that night at Fat Cat. I, don't, I, I didn't put the two together. But then I had, I got, I, I, I think I just brought it out to the session to see how it was going to sound. Right. Um, and then I, 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 I liked it, but I didn't, um, I didn't really go with it at that point. That was the first model of the 82Z. Right. Um, and I was still used to my six. I mean, my story is, is a, a little complicated. If, if I should, if <laughs> no, I should. yeah, absolutely, get into it. I want, I want people to hear this. Okay, uh, I want to so, hear this, so at least I know I'm not crazy. <laughs> okay, no, 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 no. So, I come from an artistic family. Okay, okay. Um, my mom is a painter. So when I got into the saxophone at an early age, they were almost thrilled. It's a unique experience. They were like, "Oh wow, you know, he's gonna." Because I come from I come from Great Neck, and 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 people out there are you know doctors and lawyers and stuff like that. So yeah. So you know so so uh, uh, I I kind of went the other way, and my mom my you know my family in that in our community was like the artist family. So when I decided oh I like the saxophone, my parents were like oh great. So I was into it, and then come. Like at some point in high school, 15, my mom took me to Roberto's because she said, I, you know, they can look that this is what you're going to do. We're going to get you a Mark Six. Wow. Okay. Wow. And I was like, well, you know, I was, you know, and, and so they, they took me down there. And this is, by the way, this is when like Mark Sixes were like three grand. Yeah. Okay. Like right. the, the, it, was, it wasn't as crazy. I think it was still pretty crazy. But anyway. Uh, so, so I show up there at Roberto's and, you know, I, I didn't have, I was listening train. I had, a, I had a, a, some kind of sound going on, but I wanted, I wanted to get a horn that was going to get the, you know, the kind of train thing that I wanted. And I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing. It was just me and my mom. Right. So I find this horn and I was like, this is the sound. And, but the only problem was I couldn't get the high G out. I couldn't get the high G out. Wow. And so, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Jason Carter or, uh, was there. Um, and he 
was just able to get out that high note. It was like unbelievable. And they we're like, how are you doing this on this horn? And so I was 15. I was like, okay, if, if a professional can play that note, I, I'm going to get this horn. So I got that horn. Now, this is a horn that I've shed on for 10 years, like up until, you know, halfway through my undergrad with when, and when I was studying with Eric Alexander. So, and I, I couldn't do the overtones on my horn. I was playing all this stuff. And for like the longest time, I just couldn't figure out why I couldn't do the overtone. And it got to a point in one of my lessons with Eric Alexander, where he was like, you know what, Sam, your sound is good enough. Don't worry about playing the overtones on the horn. <laughs> just good enough. Don't worry just, about just, it. just, 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 it's just something you can't do. And I was just like, what? Like, I was like, okay. So finally, one day, one lesson, he's just like, here, play my horn. And you know, I was kind of, I was kind of a space cadet back then. So I didn't even think, oh, maybe I should try other other saxophones. Right. I was just like, okay, you know, yeah. my, my saxophone doesn't work. Uh, I got to get better. I'm going to listen more train. And so, you know, uh, I played Eric's horn and all of a sudden I was just like, oh my God, my, my technique was like, oh, everything was like twice as good. And so that that started my obsession and neurotic process of going through maybe about 10 horns in four, four years. Wow. Because what I discovered is that that neck that I had from Roberto, yeah. there was something inside of it. It was like, caramel, you know, you know, the car, it was like caramelized. There was like too much buildup inside. Oh wow, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, even though there was a professional cat there that could get the G out at the time, um, I, you know, I was right to feel like there was some resistance, but I was a kid and I just went with the horn and it actually had a brighter sound to it. So I was like, Oh, cool. This is going to make me sound like train. Um, and, uh, that, 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 that actually ended up being a blessing in disguise because for the, those 10 years, it was almost like I was learning how to play the horn with weights on. Right, right. So when that came, when that came off, my technique was like way better. Wow. And, and so I went, after that point, I was, you know, I was trying Yamaha. I went, like I said, I can't, I can't even remember how many Mark Sixes I went through, man. Like, and, and I'm, I'm still, I'm still in that place because, you know, when you play a horn for whatever it was, 10 years, you have that level of, of, of control over the instrument right. that like, I haven't really felt yet with a horn. So mm -hmm. even though I gave up the instrument because it wasn't working well, I still have this, uh, this craving for that level of comfort with a horn. And it's almost like I'm, I'm, I'm a little insecure about it because I'm still, I'm still trying to find that in an instrument, you know? Yeah. So... Anyway, that's my whole, that's my whole thing. Right. So that, so that was the Mark Six that you just recently parted with. Uh, no, that no, was like the, the, that the, was the eighth I, horn. That, that was the eighth yeah. horn. Wow. That was like, yeah, that was like there, there was a whole series of. I had I had my original Mark Six and an old Con, yeah. and I traded both of them. What start and and I got a uh, the first one that started it off was like this mint condition SBA. 
And I was just like, I, I played that for like four months. Right. And I was just like, no, 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 I don't like this. <laughs> oh, and man. so I traded, I traded for another Mark six. And I just, it was just a, a trade, a trading uh, continuum or whatever. Right. You know, it just, it just never stopped. And uh, it led me to this point where I just was like, you know what? I'm getting rid of all of my Mark sixes and I'm just going to get a modern one now. So okay. that's why I have the Yamaha. Which and is a, it's the EX or? A... This, this is the artist model, which they discontinued. Ah. And this is the, uh, so this is the last, this is base. it's, it's, it's the 82Z3. Uh, Okay. Third, third, third series of the eighty-two Z, right? The last one they made, and I played, and I love, and I love it. Um, and it's, uh, it's different than the six, as I'm, I'm sure you, you'll, you'll testify to. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 the bore and everything is actually, I think, bigger. So I, I feel like there's potential for the sound to be broader in a way, yeah. but there's slightly. Uh, uh, there's something that's a little less personal about it. Also, it's right. a little more one-dimensional of a sound. It's a cleaner sound. Um, so there's differences, but I, I think it's really great. But I'm still searching. I'm still I'm still messing around. You know, I, John I actually, Le <coughs> yeah. actually kind of take comfort in that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, yeah, no, because I, dude, I, I mean, I'm I've been playing the same horn for like three years. Okay. And I have the the Yamaha that I've had. I've I've had. I dude, I've had a couple dozen horns, mm -hmm. but I have a, a older Yamaha sixty two that I've held on to throughout the years. Okay. And I, I just put a, a newer. I put a modern neck on it. I put a, a Yamaha T TV one neck on it. Oh, okay. And so yeah, it just seemed like it that that kind of does the thing. I don't really play on it that much, but it's it's there. Right. I mean, right. I mainly play on my six. But so the 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 T is the largest the neck. The yeah. Well, that's just for the tenor. Oh, the I v, see. Yeah, the V one. Uh, yeah, the V is the largest bore one. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, when I experimented with them, I think the smaller ones, like you said, they may have a little bit more personality and they may have a little bit more punch. But uh, right, the V one, I just felt like with that one, I could. Uh, I could put as much air as I wanted to into it. Like I could right. like intentionally overblow and it wouldn't get, it would still kind of remain stable enough. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, so. Yeah. It's an, it's an interesting thing with the, the modern horns in general. I feel like everything is a little more open. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think I, at, at first it's an adjustment because we're used to having the six and even the SBA, uh, direct the air a little bit, yeah. and um, that's one thing that I learned from Ken Bach in and uh, and uh, you know KB Saxophone Services because he's made he came out with those necks that everyone's playing. Yes, and he showed me something really interesting, and I'm sure everyone's doing this now, but that the in this in the Selmer necks, there's a contour inside the horn. Yeah. Meaning that 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 there's there's a funnel, uh, and it and it channels the airflow quicker. Wow. Inside the neck. You so it's not part of the outer dimensions. You can't even see it. It's like on the inside. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Someone's texting me. Can you? Can you? I'm I, I'm going to turn off my. Uh, 
There we go. Okay. Can you see me? Cool. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I actually took my uh, the factory. I have an eighty thousand Mark Six, um, and I don't really play the factory neck any longer. I play. This is a neck that is very similar to the KB necks. Okay. He more or less took a piece of uh, tracing paper when he was designing this. And, I see. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, man, this this neck works phenomenally. Like I feel like it just it brought the horn to life like it was already really cool and punchy and resistant but i put this on here and i feel like i get a completely different vibe out of it right 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 that's great yeah so so the what, where i was going with this is before my buddy just texted me out he uh he was pointing out that this is how the sixes are made none of the modern horns have this it's just an open neck so it wow. has this it has this wider feeling but the Part of the reason that the sixes and the SBAs feel so special is because they have this component where they move the air a little quicker in them. Wow. And it has a lot to do with the neck. So that's wow. why he started to design these necks that way. You know, and it's a yeah. very it's a subtle detail that a lot of people aren't going to notice because how how often can you actually really get inside a neck and look at the neck? Right. So so you know, and it's I'm sure it's like, not that it's almost yeah, I'm like sure a it's neck not that simple. It's almost like a neck baffle. Yeah, there's like a, a little bit of some kind of baffle in, in the neck, and, and, and it moves the air a little quicker. But right. now that that's out, and I think it's still a subtle thing, and it's obviously probably a different size for every horn, but now that that's out and, and these horns are just straight, there's, it's a different sound concept. So, so it's a little bit of an adjustment, but I actually do feel like there's something to this that – allows for uh, a broader kind of sound in a way. Right. So it's, it's an interesting, you know, it, it's an interesting adjustment and I'm, I'm, I'm really starting to feel like I'm getting inside the Yamaha finally, you know, right. uh, as, as opposed to just playing it. Right. So. Just, just a quick apology to everybody out there listening. Like we're going to geek out on some stack stuff a little bit. So. <laughs> yeah, I was like, how, how deep do you want to go here? <laughs> we're totally going to geek out on some sex stuff. So in terms of mouthpiece, what are, what are you doing? Okay, well, I, this is the mouthpiece that I played for a long time. Um, it's right here. And this is a Florida uh, Link, Auto Link, old Florida right. Auto Link 7. Um, and this mouthpiece is amazing. I got this from SK Saxophone, and it's right. an original 7. And that's the mouthpiece that I've been playing for the past four, four years. And before that, I was playing a, uh, a another Autolink. What's the one? Uh, it's the it's the Dexter the Dexter model. Wow. Uh, uh, I can't. Uh, the No USA. No USA, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So it's still an older link, and I was playing that, and that was a that was like a, a seven star or an eight. So I've always been playing a link. And then in college, I actually had a nine Florida link medal, which I, right. I wish I hadn't traded because that was, that was amazing. And I'm kind of going that direction now. Right now, um, I'm messing around with the, uh, the stubby retro revival mouthpiece. Because uh. I, I think retro revival, they're making, good, they're making really good stuff. Yeah, they really um, are. And uh, so I've been digging this mouthpiece and just kind of giving it, giving it a shot. Um, 
So that's supposed to be like a Duke off. It's it, it it's the Duke off. Yeah, it's their Duke off model. Yeah. Um, and I always I always love Duke off. That's the one mouthpiece as far as metal goes that I always felt that like if you get a, a good Duke off, it has just a little bit of an edge on uh, a link, you know. Yeah. Um, but they're so close and, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, I'm going to go back to them and I think I'm going to try to get their, their link model also because the, those mouthpieces, they, they, I mean, they're making them so great. It's, it, they, they all sound really good. And Bob Shepard's over there dem demonstrating them. And he's like, you know, one of the baddest dudes and he right. sounds great on every, he, you know, I don't know if you see those videos, but he's, He's like, oh, this one's good. This one's good. This one's right. pulling out of the box. And I'm like, Bob, that's you, man. Come on. But, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> I'm like, you can put anything on there. No, but 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 I can I can hear the I can hear the sound in in that that, that the mouthpieces are really working right. pretty well right out of the box. So anyway, in, I'm messing with this right now. In terms of reeds, what are you doing? And uh reeds are Daddario uh three medium. Uh and uh, unfiled, I prefer unfiled. Um, I yeah. think the unfiled gives it a little bit more of a resonant quality to it. I think the filed, they can be a little more of that laser zip on it, but I find uh, personally that after after you play it just for a little bit, it, 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 it gets a little too thin for my right. taste. So yeah. I, like, I, like the, I like the whole unfiled read. Right. Um, and I'm, I am gravitating towards a slightly more open tip these days, and I might go down to. I think I might go down to a three soft. I'm experimenting with like a bigger, a bigger, uh, you know, a bigger tip opening and a softer read because right. it's a little easier to play. You can get a little more brightness in the sound, but you can also get a little bit more of the old school thing, and at the same time. And to me, the the direction that Brecker ultimately ended up going is that kind of sound. And mm -hmm. there's a mo modern component too. Like I, I hear that, like I hear in Ben Wendell's sound, for example, that it sounds like he's, that, that that's how he, what he's doing. I think it's an open mouthpiece, but I think he plays like a two read. So right. um, I think there's an interesting thing that's, that's trending also in the saxophone community because like the modern equipment is what like, you know, you know, Don Bias was using is the big, right. or like or like lockjaw, like a, a big mouthpiece with the softer read. So right. uh, uh, I'm kind of heading a little bit that direction, not not all the way. And then do you mess around with ligs, or are you just like whatever? This is a, yeah yeah. This is an Ishimori, um, and the, the reason that I have this is Ishimori is I think the only company right now, or one of the only companies that's making metal ligatures that are uh, that fit on the uh you know like link style mouthpieces right so th that i kind of i tried it and um i got this at p uh what is it pm pw woodwinds or something yeah and, well, and, and, PM up in chicago yeah 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 in chicago yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so uh and you know it, it, they had it there and i like metal i met i like metal right on the on the read yeah, I just feel like that gives you the most resonance and everything. So, right. uh, I just saw it and I put it on there and I was like, this works cool. I'm going to, I'm going to stick with this. It's made really well. And it, uh, it, I feel like it, it brings the read, you know, to life, you know, I've, uh, I've seen you mess around with the older link ligature a lot over the years. A lot of people have varying opinions about it. Yeah. Well, well, you know, uh, like I said, uh, 
I like metal on the read. Right. You know, that, that's, bit, that's big <laughs> for me because, because you know, I, I don't want any fancy stuff on the, on the, I don't like the fancy looking ligatures and all this stuff with, you know, you have a, you got a different plate and you got yeah. five, you got five plates and this is your oak sound and this is your cherry wood sound. And I don't, no, I don't want that. Okay. I mean, this is for some people and it's cool to experiment with, you know, right. Um, but, but for me, I just want metal on the reed and have it vibrate and, uh, Leave it at that, you know. Right. It, so, it, it can get a little overwhelming sometimes with with all the different options out there. Yeah, yeah. I think I I still have that old ligature here, but you know it depends on the ligature, man. Because all these old old mouthpieces and stuff, everything is made differently. So right. I, I don't know if I could even say I have an opinion on those ligatures because, you know, uh, what what can I say about that? Well. The one that con the one that came with this, you know, the old ones. Yeah. On on the on the inside of the plate on those legs, it's completely smooth. There's no yeah, bumps on it. There's no ridges. Yeah, I have one of those. Yeah, and that's that's exactly what I like because yeah. it's going to be right up against the reed. But right. on the new ones, they got those four bumps. They always uh, damage the the heel of the reed. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't. Exactly. I don't really dig that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it. I don't think it either. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, speaking of reeds, uh, for all those guys that are into it, uh, um, I've been playing on Regattis for a long time, just regular Regatti golds. Oh, killing. Yeah, and this guy Frank Branch. I just um, I just hooked up with him. You know, I'm always on the sax forums and stuff, and keeping my eye. I um, finger on the post. They have these new Rigatti reeds. I don't even know what they're doing in terms of uh, distribution or whatever, but I just picked these up today, and they're dude, they're they're killing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're killing like right out of the box. They're wow, really, wow, really wow, killing. Yeah. Cool. So yeah, that's the, that's definitely something to check to check out. Right, right. And I, you know what, I there's all these new reeds coming out and everything too. And I, I, I was taking lessons when I was a kid with. Um, Dave Pietro, and he he told me something that always stuck with me because the reeds, new reeds will come out, and um, the cane that's in the new reed is somehow better always when the new reed is new for some reason. Ah, yeah, so, yeah, 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 yeah. So what he would do is always go and buy like fifty boxes of whatever the new reeds were, and just put them. In his, in his, in his, in his, you know, in his closet, and so when I would go over there for a lesson, he would open up his reed closet, and I'd be like, it'd be like a, it would look like Sam Ash, man. <laughs> so like, that sounds, so, that, sounds, that sounds very familiar. I'm kind of like that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and, and the, the only reason I'm bringing that up is that that I I would I I'd love to hear how it sounds, but for me, um, I'm just I'm sticking I'm just sticking with the Dodario. Not not because it's a knock on any other reads. I'm I'm sure they might even be better. Right. But I'm I just I just kind of I'm just kind of dealing with this, you know. Did you notice any change in quality once they switched over from Rico? Uh, you know, I I didn't actually. I I I thought I thought that they they always seem really good. And my real kind of mo or whatever you want to call it uh has been you know 
the, my two favorite saxophone sounds or saxophone players that use metal mouthpieces are both using Daddario. And that's, wow. that's Chris Potter and that's Eric Alexander. Yeah. And for me, as far as guys that are older who set the standard for, you know, a metal sound today, right? they're, they're both using Daddario. So I don't know why, but <laughs> right. I noticed that. And so I'm like, okay, that's good enough for me. I'm yeah. going to do that, you know. Absolutely. I may, I may have skipped over some stuff, but um, so you went to school in Manhattan, right? At, uh, at uh, Juilliard, rather. Uh, yeah, that, well, I got my third degree there. That was my artist diploma. Okay. And I was there from uh, uh, 2015 to 2017. Right. Um, that was the, yeah, it's a, it's basically their, their, their highest level program. If you're in it, you're in a, a one band, you know, you're like, it's a, it was a sextet. And we just basically rehearsed twice a week and did some touring. It was an amazing experience. Um, and, uh, you know, that, 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 uh, 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 climate and, uh, 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 school, that kind of schooling, uh, uh, was different than, you know, my master's in undergrad. That, that, that program right. was a little bit more of like, you know, you're already a professional. We're going to, we're going to treat you, you know, like, and it was like in a different category. We weren't almost like not even really students, like half students, half pros there. Cause we're like, all the older guys at the point at that time, I was the oldest guy in the band too. I think right. I was like, uh, I was like 30 or at that time. Right. And that's the, you know, average age. Most guys, they end up doing that at like 28, 27, 20, you know, and, uh, and, uh, I mean, that was cool, but that was after I'd been freelancing for seven years too. You know, I went back to school. Um, before that I was, uh, I got my master's at SUNY purchase, uh, where, where I was studying with Eric and Jimmy Green, you know, yeah. Todd Kuhlman was there, Fattis was there, is there, you know, great program and just the chance to, you know, shed all the time and uh, just learn, you know, learn the language. Right. Um, so, uh, and then before that, uh, I, I started my undergrad at, at, uh, at University of Miami for two years. Okay. And when I was down there, um, that was 2002 and, uh, in 2002, uh, Troy Roberts was there with yeah. me and Brandon Wright was there and a whole, uh, Phil Doyle was there Wow! and, and, uh, you know, it, you know, that was like, you know, just such an amazing experience, man. And with, with wit and everyone, and I'm, you know, being from Florida, I'm sure you know more about that yeah, program than I do. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so, but, but, so I started there for two years, but I, I ended up missing New York, and uh, 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 came came back after two years and transferred to Purchase, and can, uh, finished my undergrad at, at Purchase and stayed there for my master's. So it's my whole my whole education experience. Yeah, very cool, man. So I want to get into what you. Um, what you kind of do in terms of uh, just overall sound development, rhythm, when, you, when you're going to work on some stuff. Um, yeah. 
uh, obviously it's it's sort of specific to whatever you have on your plate at the time, whatever you have uh -huh. coming up. If you're going in the studio and you're going to be in the horn section, obviously you get there. There are certain things that you want to uh, sort of focus on to do that. But just in general, like uh, to to work on uh, getting better facility, a broader, fatter sound. Um, you know your melodic approach. You know, obviously transcribing. You know, there's no substitution for for just listening and practicing, but I guess like more specifically, what, what type of stuff are you digging into? Man, um, I'm, I was always, like you're saying, the most important thing is listening. Yeah. The guys. And I'm not the biggest full solo transcriber. Uh, and I think that's like a trend now where people learn the whole solo yeah. and, post, and post it on Instagram. But my, my feeling is like, I, I, I've done that too a little bit, but my, my, my feeling is uh, in general, like, let's just listen to the original recording, man. We don't need to hear you play along <laughs> with this. Because, the, well, and, and the reason is that when you're playing along with the recording and you show, okay, congratulations, you, did, you figured out what the notes are to a solo, but... You're not really, I, I feel like it's almost missing the point to learn a whole solo and just get the notes. Right. Um, because all along from Coleman Hawkins, which I, was the first solo I learned on Body and Soul, um, and, you know, Dom Bias on Body and Soul, which to me is the best and first example of continuation of the art form. Because if you go and listen to that Don Bias solo on Body and Soul, to me, that's almost more of a direct uh, lineage than even Brecker was to train. Right. To me. Like that's yeah. that Don Bias' solo on Body and Soul is like Coleman Hawkins' next generation. It's just, mm -hmm. it's, it, it blows my mind how the influence is there, but he's kind of taking it in just a little further. Um, so I, I, both of those guys for the old school sound, those are my, you know, top two. Um, right. Lester Young, of course. Um, and then Dexter, a lot of Dexter, a lot of train, a lot of train, a lot, a lot, a lot of train all yeah. the time, man. Every, every era of train too. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, especially the 58, 59 era, you know, with him, Playing through all these, playing through all these changes, and uh, Sonny Stitt, you know, uh, Sonny Rollins. Um, but every time I listen to these guys, um, I found myself writing stuff out, but not like the whole soul, like I was saying, just just ideas. Right. So like you know, and that and that's always been my approach. I haven't learned the whole solo, but like you know, even even you know, this is from. This is from yesterday. It's right here, you know. Wow. This is my notebook, man. I, I'm, I'm doing the, the, the daily thing from listening. Right. And I think I, I was check, I was checking out some Brecker solo yesterday, and I just wrote out, you know, some of the, some more like a diminished idea, and I'll take the idea, and I'll try to get it through every key, um, and I'll try to, I'll try to get it through every key in every inversion, like meaning not just learn it down in half steps, 
or up in half steps. Learn it down in whole steps, minor thirds, major thirds, fourths, and try to try to get the one idea all over the horn. Right. And and then apply it to a two five one, you know, and then apply the two five ones on a tune. So there's various levels of the application of material that you figure out from these people. Right. But for me, the, the thing that's helped me so much is to focus on these little bits of inspiration or things that I hear um, and then really make it part of my playing. And so I'm always, I'm always, I'm always doing that. And I, so, like I said, you know, every once in a while I'll transcribe a whole solo just to get some time happening, but I'm more of like a bits and pieces guy and like thinking, thinking a lot about how, you know, I want to uh, put solos together and how the harmony can affect the lines that you play and the uh, composition of a solo and the tune and how to play over a tune. Because I do think that, you know, for example, um, if you learn the whole solo, like I was saying, it's, it's almost an amazing amount of work and a feat to be able to like actually just play the whole solo, but it's almost missing the point right. because because when you learn when when you're doing that you're 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 uh, associating that all of that vocabulary just with that one that one tune at that right. one time instead right. of really get instead of really getting inside it making it part of yourself and and I think I, I think that that's a, a, a you know, an uh, important component in at least how I see development as a soloist, you know, uh, you know, so that's, 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 that's kind of where I've always been at and that's where I'm still at, you know? Yeah. No, I, I stress that sometimes when I'm teaching as well, right? And, and I think that's just kind of a product of maybe our age a little bit, you know what I mean? Cause like, right. back, I remember working at a record store when I was like 16, 17 years old. Right. And just back then, there was no digital download. You know what I mean? You bought the record, you pull, popped it open, you smelled the, you know what I mean? And right, right, right. Read the linear notes, and you listen to the entire album. So, right, like you were saying, like, if you trans transcribe an entire solo, yeah, that's great, but there are, like, little things within there that maybe you, okay, that I could use on this tune in a, in a completely different setting. You can take right, right, phrases. right. Yeah. Right. And I mean, the, you know, you want to be able to cop a person's stylistic approach, the vibrato, the phrasing. You want to look at all those things. So there's an argument to be made for learning the whole solo to be able to get inside stuff that way and treat it as an etude. I'm not saying that that's not important and that you shouldn't approach things that way. But generally if you're going to do that to really try to get in you know for example Sonny Rollins's time feel I mean I learned Sonny Rollins whole solo on without a song because that solo is yeah. like in terms of in terms of rhythm and, and 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 you know I mean it goes without saying I don't need to say that to anyone here but I I, I learned that whole solo at, at one point so there there are certain solos that are really just so masterful that it's important to treat as an etude. But in general, I'm just saying like my general mentality is if you can hear it already, 
you don't really need to learn it. You know, right. it's, you're, 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 le you're listening to it in a broader context. You're listening to it in the context of the tune. Oh, that, that's the move. That's the move he made there. Like, let me listen to the story. You know, if, if you're, you know, it's the same thing. If you're watching a movie and I know Wayne Shorter is big into watching movies, but if you're watching a movie and you, and, and the story hits you, you're, you're, you're going to take away the story. You're not going to take away, you're not going to try to memorize the lines, yeah. the script, the script right. from the movie. And, and, you know, you can get into that. And if you really love a certain play or an opera or a movie, you can look at, you can then go look at the whole script. Sure. But the bigger point is, which is, it is important not to forget is for you to be taking away the story and what happens and what strikes you and be right. trying to put things together that way. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of where I've always, always been at. And, 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 and the, the other thing is the opposite side of the coin is also true for me. I like to make up patterns for myself. I'm a big pattern believer. Um, and the reason I'm such a big pattern believer is not, to be uh, necessarily impressive on the saxophone if I'm demonstrating a pattern. I, I really feel, um, you know, uh, that when you have something under your fingers and it's ingrained in your, you know, your, your, your digits, it's, it's muscle memory. Right. That when you switch gear, and you're about to start creating that is only going to serve you to, to, to be a better artist. Yeah. And, and, uh, I hope I'm not rambling too much, but the big, the big, the big, the big, the best analogy, the best analogy that, that I can think of is, I love the Matrix, man. The movie, The Matrix, because yeah. at the end, the end of that, the end of the movie, when she needs to save Morpheus, you know. And I right. always tell this to my students, and she doesn't know how to use the helicopter, so she's trapped in. And they go back to the guy and they say, "Okay, upload all the instructions for how to use the helicopter." Boom! And all, and then her eyes open up, and now she knows how to use the helicopter. Right. Well, to me. That's what practicing is. We're just injecting all of the information we need, but we're but when it's time to actually apply all of that information, we gotta just go and use all of it. So right. to, to me, that extreme lesson there of, of her needing—I don't know how to use the helicopter. I gotta save. I have a mission, right? Me, to me, mm. performing or 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 playing music—that's the. That's the saving Morpheus time. Right. But the, the practice is when you're just, you're uploading stuff and you're trying to completely uh, uh, get every, every possible way and every possible direction in your subconscious. So when you have to be in the moment and go, it's going to all be accessible. Yeah. You know, and that's, kind of, that, that's, that's how I see it. It's funny you mentioned that movie. I always reference it too. I, I I talk about that movie a lot, but I always talk about the scene where in the first Matrix where he's getting shot at. And he's kind of doing the contortion. Yeah. I I always talk about that being like soloing. 
Yeah. Like when you when you're when you're actually performing, <laughs> <laughs> and not like yeah, there's yeah. tomatoes at you or whatever, but just right, you know, right. you have so much information coming at you at once, and you kind of have to like do this yeah. contortionist act through the changes, you know, work right. your way through, and you know, I always yeah, reference yeah. that scene. Yeah, the, yeah. There's some truth to that. That, I mean, that that's a deep movie, man. There's a lot yeah. of there's a lot of symbolic stuff in there. So, so so if I could trouble you. Can we get an example, like for um, I, I don't know, maybe a tune, or if you're talking about like maybe maybe something like "I Love You" or just like a simple, a, like a D minor, a concert D minor, concert C minor idea, like you, like okay, this is how I would sort of approach this. Okay, the piano player drops the C minor. Like as soon as I hear oh. that, this is what I'm thinking. Okay, yeah, let me. Uh, I hope my read didn't dry out. The heat started to come on here in New York. I don't know what temperature it is down there, guys, but it's, but, uh, it's, it's it, beautiful. It's like it's like 35 degrees here today, so that means the heat is on, and that means my read it, my read is dry. So hang on one second. All right. Okay, that's cool. Is that too loud? No, no, perfect. give you an example i mean okay right off the bat uh i guess d minor yeah okay just a modal thing okay there's there's a lot of ways to go one there's a few things i'm into right now it's this idea uh i i think i first heard the expression coined from like but from jerry bergazzi it's called polypentatonics yeah. okay uh and I did a, a, an Instagram video on it a little while ago, but oh, is that the, is that the thing we were doing, like the endless Coltrane thing? No, no, that's some that's that's some other stuff. I can that's talk about I can talk I'll talk about that too if you want. Okay, but um, uh, uh, the polypentatonic thing fascinates me because if you have D minor and pentatonic, you know. <laughs> step from there and you combine it with like D minor and E flat minor or you combine it with D minor and C sharp minor down a half step or you combine it with D minor and A flat minor right so up a half step down a half step or a tritone away the combination of those two pentatonic scales have no note in common with each other yeah so you create a web to be able to go inside and out and you can think of one shape and you get some really hip sounds that way. So for example, if you limit yourself to four note shapes or four note groups, cause I guess I'm assuming D minor we're in four, you can right. do five. And then that's another sequencing thing that I, I like to mess around with. So if we're doing five, right, let's say I'm going to combine, and I haven't done these two, but I'm going to combine my D minor and E flat minor together. And so I'm going to go up five and down five, the other, and then just keep going up every step of the scale. So, uh, right, you get some crazy sounding stuff. Right? Yeah. And that's just going up and down. Now, of course, you can invert it, you know, up, uh, 
Obviously, that's unlimited patterns there. That's uh, super hip. But you know, like I said, I like patterns to get under your fingers. So, like one thing, you know, like I like the four-note shape idea because then you're 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 keeping the same shape in your in your mind, but you're going in one direction. So, for example, I'll practice it where if I'm starting on, let's say, I'm going down and I'm starting on C on the D pentatonic, right? And right. I have a shape like this, uh, right? Very simple shape. That's just C D F, so so C F D C, right? Mm -hmm. Next note is going to be on B flat for the E flat uh, minor, right? Uh, and I'm going to go B flat, E flat, D flat, B, right? And then I'm going to go down to A, A D C A. So you're keeping the shape the same, but the actual intervals are changing because you're, you're going in the same direction and that's a that's a that's a you know a cool way to practice it so it sounds like a pattern but it's not really you know right and then you can change different shapes yeah. So it, it, that's kind of the never-ending, a never-ending thing. The other thing that uh, you know comes to mind when you say D minor, you can just wail out on the five sound. So you can also go straight up to you know A seven, right? Or right, with the major seven in there. Right, right. So the major seven, and and you can go for the A seven. You can go altered too, like straight up, you know, E flat seven or E flat seven sharp eleven or B flat. Uh, melodic minor, right? Yeah. And uh, mess around with that, uh, you know, the augmented sound in there. Right, that kind of thing. You can also go diminished on the A7, right? So, you know, all the diminished. Right, whatever. Yeah. You know, and then all the triad uh, pairs on on in the diminished scale A seven yeah. A so so you got you got major and minor triads in the diminished scale that are uh, separated by a, a minor third. So anytime right. you discover anything in the diminished scale, in this case it's our A seven. So there's an right. A major triad, there's an A minor triad, there's also yeah. C major, C minor, E flat, and F sharp, and you can combine them, right? So yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a lot of information to experiment with there. 
Yeah. Um, so then the the the, co- yeah. the endless the endless coal train thing you were talking about. What's that? Okay, about? What's so, that about? So, yeah. And so Dick, um, in this case, you want to think about not just coal train changes, but you want to think about all of the different points in uh, the key where you can apply chain coal train changes to. So we're in D minor. Um, we can do a two five back to D minor, right? So we right. can start on E, E minor, um, and do the cycle that way. starting on E minor, part of the never ending thing is that you can also start on the tritone because then right. you're going to get to, you're going to end up on E flat seven, which is going to resolve back to D minor two. Right. Right. So, you know, then you get, uh, hopefully I don't mess this up. Right. You get it that way. Right. Okay, so then what that implies basically is that you can start mixing and matching the five chord subs for all right. the dominant chords. Right. Which is also really fascinating to me. So instead of going E minor, F7, B flat, we're getting to B flat. That's the third chord change, right? For the giant step changes. So how can we get to B flat? Well, all of the other chord subs that we would play normally on a standard, we can apply to get to B flat. So uh, we can play B7 instead right. of F, right? Tritone sub. We can also play uh, A flat 7 going to B flat, right? Which is the whole step below, right? right? That's on stage. So now we're going, we're going E minor, A flat 7, B flat. And you can put that sub in through the whole cycle, right? And we're resolving to the fifth. Uh, right? So that's the whole cycle there. And then you can also go a half step below, right? So E minor, A7. B, B flat, right? E. Okay. Uh, wait, let me, let me see if I'm doing this right. I don't have that one worked out as well, but it's a half step. So, yeah, let me think. E, e minor, A7, B flat, yeah. Um, and then E, no, then F, F sharp, and then C sharp, 7 to D minor, right? So you get that and the end of it. Okay, so now the next step after that, next step after that is that for every five chord that you get to, that five chord sound in and of itself can go to all of the other major keys that it normally would go to. You yeah. dig? So if I'm putting tritone sub, I'm going E minor, F7, B flat. Now I'm going E minor, B7, B flat. Instead of going to B flat, 
right? I can go back. Well, in this case, you would go back to E minor, so that that one doesn't work. But B seven is also uh, a whole step below C sharp. Right. So now you get a cycle. You get a cycle where you can go to C sharp major, right? Because now you're switching the major chords that will work in a different way with the five chord, right? Right. Right. So you're you're basically you're 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 organizing an approach. You end up organizing a, an approach where it goes in half. It goes in whole steps, half steps, or or minor third, and it's and it's completely free right based on whatever tonality you want to end up resolving to you're still so, doing that the three tonic type of thing you're doing a three tonic type of thing but you're choosing where you're you? choosing where you want to go whenever you want which is so it's like it's organized through giant steps but it's an organized approach to just playing basically whatever you want right and 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 you get into different keys and th to me that that's that, that that can be a dangerous thing to start doing because <laughs> right. uh, because it never ends, right. you know. So that's why it's never ending giant But at the same time, if you apply it in the right way, um, it can sound it sounds amazing and it's fun. And I mean, Garzon lives there, man. I mean, right. this is like not this is just touching on the tip of the iceberg for what he's doing. That's some other stuff. The reason that I came up with this is because I actually kind of interpreted some of the stuff that I heard Brecker doing as if he was playing giant steps in different keys. Like I, I heard, I started to hear like some of the, you know, the figure he, he'll always play. Uh, right. He'll yeah. And I'll, I'll hear him do that kind of, you know, that kind of, that kind of stuff. So, yeah. I kind of started to feel like, okay, what is he doing? And I just like look at the shapes and, and, it, it, and Grossman too. And I, I, Joel might have some more insight on this than me. But uh, to me, my interpretation of that was there's kind of like a giant steps influence in it, but it's not totally purely, he's not just playing giants or, or the cycle. It's right. really a countdown. It's really a countdown. But he's not playing the whole thing. There's like a, a moment of it, and then he's going back. So I kind of decided to to use that vocabulary as an impetus, again, for me to kind of come up with my own way of processing it. Right. Which, which in and of itself, I think, is the more important lesson, which is what I was talking about from the beginning. You know, you're mm -hmm. listening to stuff, and you're – you're figuring out your own stuff from it, so that, yeah. that's kind of where I come up with this concept of never, never any giant steps. It's a, it's a way to, to do that, and uh, if you if you use it in the right way, it sounds like giant steps for a second, but it's it's not it's not really, you know. Right. <laughs> I mean, it, just, it never ends, man. It's yeah. Like, it's, it's never ending. It's never ending. <laughs> totally know? hip, man. Mm. Totally, totally hip. So, well, so. 
What? Yeah, man. Once again, man, I want to I want to thank you for uh, for for coming on here with us. And uh, yeah, this is uh, this this has been amazing, man. Uh, we, we oh, really, really I can't believe it's over us. already. <laughs> yeah, I know, dude. It's been like a little over an hour. Uh, yeah, man. We, uh, we, you know, I hope we get a chance to to meet up in person sometime soon. Yes, uh, and, and, and do this type of fellowship. Oh man, a absolutely, man. I mean, yeah. anytime you're in the city. Of course, just you got to hit me up, and I, I I really appreciate the Clearwater uh, Outreach uh, Jazz Organization for having me. This I love, you know, I love the title re Outreach, you know. Yeah. And uh, man, it's it's an honor for you know a player, uh, you know, of your of your level and experience and everything, man, to 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 invite me. In, into your your world so yeah, yeah. Well, we, hey J hey jeremy and sam we appreciate you both very very much for being part of all this we there are uh, i have a question and there's one question from someone that participated today so if you don't mind i'd love to share that with you both to see if either one of you wanted to field it Sure. Yeah. So, so, um, question from Martin. Hello, Sam and Jeremy. Do you have any tips on not rushing when playing fast lines? Also, how have you worked on your sound, Sam? Thank you in advance. Oh, okay. Well, Jeremy, do you want to go on? No, like no, no. You got it. You got it. You got it. You sure? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Okay. Not rushing, not rushing. Um, Actually, it's funny. Maybe it sounded like I was just rushing just now, um, but I have a tendency to drag, um, and I think that that's because of where you end up feeling the beat. Um, so my advice with time in general is to learn something so well that you're really feeling it. Um, it, it, there, there, there's a crazy element to music where almost almost being conscious of something you're doing can actually take away from doing it. So, you know, ultimately we want to get to this point where we really are feeling it. And, and that goes, that's a deeper lesson than applies to like, you know, uh, modern jazz times. If you listen to someone like Dexter, or all, all, all the old, old school cats, players, they almost, it, to me, it doesn't even sound like Dexter cared what the tempo was. <laughs> he's just going to pick up the horn and, and it's gonna, he's going to feel it. And you can, even if it's a fast tempo, even that, but that's the crazy thing. Even when he's dragging, it's, it's, it's in time, you know? So, I, I think that the the deeper lesson with time is to internalize what you're doing. And that just is a matter of playing, playing it, you know? I mean, yes, you do want to practice one, two, one, two, three. <laughs> right you want to be able to do that forever practice time that way to, to get your eighth notes happening 
But beyond that, um, I think it, it, it's a process of just internalizing your vocabulary. And then you can put it at whatever tempo you want. Um, as far as sound goes, I'm listening to all the great players. I'm trying to keep my throat open. I'm trying to sing. One nerdy saxophone uh, thing I like to do is I, I, that really, I feel like, opens up my throat. And then again, it, I, I thought of this from listening to my favorite players. Uh, I, De Dexter almost sometimes can sound like he's like a little flat in a way not really though but like and then train to me also sounds like he train can be sharp but uh there's this what i'm trying to say is there's this quality to all of the great big saxophone sounds that to me it sounds like they're under the note and so it, it sounds like they're coming up to the pitch so because they're they're, they're, they're everything is open Right, so I, I I was trying to figure out a way that I can force myself to try to be more open, and the exercise that I came up with was just play a C scale, but try to make the C scale sound like a B scale, because I'm purposely lipping the scale down. So it's not just taking one note and doing it down a half step; it's taking the whole scale. So I'm here at C. Let me see if I can make. Now, sounds like a dying goose, and if you're practicing and mom's mom's uh, <laughs> listening to you, you can tell her, mom, if it sounds like a dying goose, that's what Sam said I'm supposed to sound like. So. And it's true because um, what you're doing is you are uh, forcing your physical being to get rid yourself of all of the all of the natural tendencies that will go into making a G sound like a G. It's not just focusing on the one note. When you when you when you are you're ingrained in your head to play a G and have it sound a certain way. You're literally forcing everything that you've ever done to not do that and be lower. And I feel like if you do, if, if you do this with every major scale, it has made a difference for me in terms of just feeling like I'm coming up to the note, you know? Because it's hard, it's hard, it's not that, you know, it doesn't sound great, but it, it, it keeps my throat open. <laughs> flexibility to the sound and it's hard to go the other way it's harder to play sharp than it is to play flat right we have more flexibility on the bottom end of the note so i'm just kind of working that muscle you know so yeah that's my answer no it's a that's a great answer uh sam we also have a question from anita she she mentions the smalls live streams have been a sanity saver during quarantine as a non-musician audience member, she's curious how you perform your best without an audience and how important is that to the equation? And she thanks you. Oh, thanks so much, Anita. I appreciate that. And uh, that's an amazing point to make. 
Uh, I don't want to take any credit for that. That's all Spike and all the, the, the amazing staff at Smalls for having so much heart and, and uh, 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 passion for the music that they've been able to keep the club open. So that's a testament to them. And I know, uh, I know Joel will probably have more to say about that than me, too. Um, I think he just played there the other night. So, yeah. especially, uh, especially with the Jazz Standard closing. Right, you know, especially with Jazz Standard closing, too. So that's, that's just, you know, what, what else can you say? But, uh, yeah, it was weird. <laughs> it was weird to play at Smalls without a crowd. I was oddly, uh, I was oddly nervous in, like, a way that I hadn't felt nervous in a long time because I was just out of, out of, you know, out of sync of, of picking up my horn and actually going out the door and playing for people. So that was the first thing I had to get over because there haven't been that much many gigs. But then getting there and, you know, finishing a solo and uh, like no one's clapping, you know. <laughs> and so that's, that's, that's kind of, you're kind of, it's kind so what me and Frank were doing, we were like clapping for each other, you know. <laughs> We were like, I remember Frank finished one of one of his great solos, and I was, I was like, yeah, from the back. But yeah, it's a little weird, you know. And now, but that that when we did that in September, that was before the club had actually started having like fifteen percent capacity or whatever it is now. So now there there are some people there, but the whole staff at Smalls made it made it feel uh, as as close to the real thing as they could. Um, but yes, the audience plays a real part, man. I mean, there's no question that, you know, playing for people, presenting your work, presenting your, your soul, your, your, your voice is, is, is such a, uh, that, that's what this is all about. We're, we're expressing ourselves, you know, and, um, that's definitely one of the, uh, deeper or more profound lessons of this time, which is, which is that, uh, as great as technology is, you know, we need, we need to be around each other and the audience plays an important part. And this music thrives when we're able to be with each other, you know, again, it's a social music. So the audience is extremely, extremely important. Um, otherwise you're just sitting at home, you know, playing, playing for yourself. Um, and that, that's not really the full point of it all. That's not really, the full, you know, we're, 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 we're connecting with each other. There's, there's, there's a message in this music and all the great players that we love. There's a message, you know, it's not just about the notes. It's not just about the song. Even there's a deeper message in, 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 in the music that we love and, and, uh, uh, uh are inspired by, you know? So we need, we need to be around each other. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's, that's great, Sam. Um, I, I was thinking I have a, um, I, speaking of message, um, there's a lot of young people that follow the Clearwater Jazz Holiday tradition. A lot of young musicians that we try to create opportunities for all the time, whether they're through our programs or performance opportunities. And so we, we always like to ask our guests about a message to those to those students and you know think about yourself when you were in their shoes uh, when you were in high school and you were inspired to play or maybe playing 
with jazz band, you know, the Clearwater Jazz Holiday Foundation creates this this longtime festival tradition that has all these performance opportunities, but it's really these programs, you know, that, that create these learning opportunities for them or pair them with more established professional musicians. So when you think about yourself and their shoes at that time, do you have a message for them um, uh, that you'd like to share today as part of these sessions to help to inspire or guide or or something else maybe yes um the you know we're at the end of the day we're all uh individuals we're all our own people and um i think the 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 most important thing to remember is that you don't need to work on being you is how I see it. You already are you. And that's already a beautiful thing. What you want to do is absorb from everyone else, take what you want, and just add it to your pot that's already cooking on the stove. Right? And I think there's too much dialogue about being original, not being original, this versus that, and the way I see it is that if I call uh, Jeremy on the phone, he's going to know it's me by the sound of my voice. Uh, and I didn't do anything to work on that. That was given to me. Now, what we talk about, that has something to do with what I want to say. And that's something that is under my control. But he's going to know it's me. And I... That's something that you got to be confident about, not just at peace with. He's going to know it's me, and that's a reason to smile, because we're here, and we're 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 communicating together. And I think there's too much, uh, you know, in in this art form especially, and as an artist, there's too much self doubt that goes into, oh man, I'm not good enough. I'm no, you are good enough, and. You have all the tools that you need to be what you want to be. Listen to yourself and don't doubt what you already are. Just absorb and be you, you know. And 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 uh, I, I've I've learned I've learned that uh, that that I, I started that way, almost to a fault, almost to, to in in a way, almost maybe seemingly stubborn, you know. I'm going to do this and I don't give a damn what anyone else says. And to be honest, I think there were a lot of people that, that might have, when I was a young kid said, Oh, well you might have a little bit of an attitude, blah, blah, blah. And now looking back on it, I was like, no, you know what? No, no, no. That, 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 that stood out because not a lot of people are, are raised to have that kind of love and self-confidence. But I came from a household where I was lucky enough to have a, a loving and supporting family, and they gave me that. So my message to younger kids is uh, uh, that I, I want to give that to them. And it has nothing to do with music itself. It has to do with being you and do your, do your thing and believe adamantly in yourself and that 
learning from other people is only going to make you more of yourself. It's not two separate things. You're just going to become more of yourself, you know? And I heard an interview with Seamus Blake, and I think the analogy is so great. He talks about uh, cooking a, a, a pot of a, a, a soup on the stove, right? And it's like you're making your own soup. And at first, when you have your ingredients in the soup, they're separate ingredients. And you can see all the ingredients. But as you let it continue to cook, you can't taste all the individual ingredients anymore. It just tastes like your soup. So just remember, you're, you're at, 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 at this stage, you're, you're, you're putting your ingredients together. And you can see all the ingredients at this point. But as you continue to go along, you're just cooking. You're cooking. Man, I'm hungry now. Campbell's. Yeah. Yeah, right. No, that's a that is a great message and we we so appreciate your time sharing with us today. Jeremy, I do have some closing remarks, but I wanted to turn it over to you first um before that to see okay. if you had anything else. Yeah, man, I just I wanted to close it out once again. Thanks Sam, man. What what a wonderful uh, beautiful human being. Uh just immensely talented. Uh it's just the hard work and all the dedication to everything that you're doing. It shows. Keep doing what you're doing, man. We really appreciate you so much, man. Uh, thank you so much, Jeremy. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, so um, uh, we, we really appreciate everybody who has participated today and who will be watching and listening in the future. We appreciate Sam and Jeremy's time very much today for helping to grow this wonderful treasure of information. Sam mentioned Chris Potter earlier in the session, and we just so happen to have Austin Vickery joining us at 4.30 today as part of our What I Love About series, and his focus is on Chris Potter today. So oh, wow. for those yeah. that for those uh, listening now, um, you, there's uh, some really great session materials that Austin prepared that are already up on the website, and Austin's been doing a great job. And um, we've got Jeremy returning uh later this week both tomorrow and the next day with our conversation with series continuing with joel Fromm and jeff vidal so it's going to be a uh really really awesome week with jeremy and uh, we hope we can also stay connected now with sam as we as we continue to do what we do because uh, i really enjoyed today's session with both of you and um i just am so happy and honored to add this to the sort of growing archive that we have so on behalf of the clearwater jazz holiday foundation thank you again to jeremy and to sam to everyone who has been participating stay safe out there uh, be well everybody keep uh, playing keep practicing keep listening keep being inspired and we'll see everybody back real soon take care guys beautiful thank you Thank you for listening to Clearwater Jazz Holidays, Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions. Thank you to our friends at Marine Max Clearwater for helping to present this podcast series. To learn more about the Clearwater Jazz Holiday Annual Festival tradition, 
other special events throughout the year and our year-round education and outreach, please visit clearwaterjazz.com.